Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? Good to see you all. How are you doing? Hopefully well. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. My wife Hannah and I get the honour of leading this incredible church. And uh, it's been a great season for us. Last week we celebrated as a church family being completely debt free. One more time, put your hands together for what God has done through us. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I need you to know that we are the envy of almost every church in Australia right now. I had all these pastors texting going, how did you do? What's going on? I'm like, 32 years of faithful members. That's it. That's how people did it. So get started. But absolutely decades and decades of generosity and sacrifice has gone into that. And we were so excited last year, uh, last week. We kind of relaunched uh, a giving campaign. So we've got one of these booklets. If you missed last week or you missed the booklet, they're available at the back. And it talks about things that we have done in the last year or years. Um, I mentioned this last week, but just so you know, so we were doing this year in, year out, every single year. Hannah and I felt during COVID just to kind of let it lay low. We didn't stop it. We didn't really advertise it though. And in my heart, I don't know why, I just felt like it was a jubilee year. There's this thing in the Old Testament every 50th year. It's like this year of just let the ground lay low. Don't, don't plant crops. Don't do anything. Just let the ground rest. And as COVID hit and finances were so uncertain for all of us and families, I just didn't have peace standing up here asking you to give in that time. I might have been wrong. I might regret it in five or 10 years, but right now it just felt like the thing to do. So now that it's all past us, we felt to go again and relaunch into being um, a genuine love giving campaign, being a generous church in that way. And we're so excited for this, especially this first kind of campaign again to launch it because this is the first year in many, many, many years that every single dollar that comes into this year's campaign Nothing goes to rent, nothing goes to mortgage repayments, nothing goes to a bank. Every cent will go to the community. How incredible is that? And so, look, to be honest, the board and I, we're praying for wisdom and we're praying for God, you know, what's next? But I've just said, look, at least 12 months, let's just give every cent away so that next June we can brag about how much we gave away to our local community. And so if you didn't give it, get a chance to make a pledge, uh, I'd love you to grab one of these. If you remember here, if you're visiting, don't worry about it. We just love that you're enjoying today. Uh, on the back, there's an opportunity. That's not what you have to give today. That's what you would uh, like to commit yourself to attempt to give in the next 12 months. And it's such a wonderful thing. You know, Hannah and I, we do it every year just because, okay, cool, let's, let's keep this intentional and uh, really prioritize it as we're doing our budget. And so it was great last week, you know, with the the rides and the slide and the lunch and everything, we still in that day pledge. There's so many more people who want to pledge soon, but on the day for community services pledged, we have $65,000 already and for missions, $25,000. So put your hands together. Incredible. Uh, that, that really blessed me, church. That was truly beautiful to see, you know, already $90,000 is pledged to be given to our community. And uh, once again, th- we said this stress is last week. There's no amount. We don't, the reason I don't feel comfortable having like a dollar goal is say, I just pick an amount, say we pick like $300,000. So I guess that's a win if a business guy comes in, he's like, oh, here's 300 grand. We just stop giving, right? Like we've achieved our goal. When that's not the win for us as a church. 
The win for us as a church is all of us in some capacity being generous people and thinking about our community. And so last week we had people who pledge $5 a week and others who pledge hundreds a week. And I've got to tell you, I'm just as proud of both because they're putting people first and they're putting in their budget a priority to be generous people. And that's all I'm asking you to do is pray about it and uh, have a look at this and commit yourself uh, in some capacity. If you're a member here, that'd be amazing. But an incredible month ahead. We're in June now. How many people can believe it's already June? It's like, oh my gosh, this year is flown by and felt like 40 years at the same time. Like we had COVID, we had floods, we've had everything. Okay, so we've been preaching through First John uh, for the last something like two months, three months now. And uh, it's been an incredible journey. One more time, I'd love to welcome all of our online visitors tuning in. Let's turn around and wave to the camera. They love you guys. I know the fossils are at home. They've been sick for like three weeks. They had COVID. As soon as they got over COVID, they got influenza A and Kurt was saying something like rhinovirus. He's just been charging doors in the wall nonstop. I don't know what that means, but we love you guys. Get better soon. And uh, a bunch of our members at home resting. So uh, we've been going through First John. And today we're going to go through 1 John chapter 2, if you have your Bible, picking up in verse 15. Man, I had to wrestle with this one this week because I, I had a goal six months ago of this message. I was like, I think that's the angle I'm going to take. And all week as I wrote it, it didn't feel peace until Thursday I had to take a different angle. And we're going to have fun with it today. That's all I'm saying. Hey church, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. It's pretty severe. That's pretty full on. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasures, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. New King James and the ESV will shift those wording to be the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John's big three things. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Catch this. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's full on. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I thank you this morning that you are working through us and speaking through us and leading us and guiding us and giving us revelation and eyes to see what you are saying in this passage. God, I pray every time we open your word that it would be power to us, God. It would be truth. We thank you for your word. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed for us and he said, sanctify them or make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. So God, we understand that your word is changing us and shaping us and making us holy, making us into the image you want us to be, God. So we surrender ourselves to your word. We allow it to convict us. We allow it to challenge us. We allow it to shape us because, God, we understand that we are becoming who you've called us to be. Give us eyes to see what this passage says today, Lord. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Picking up straight away in verse 15, we see this kind of uh, confronting statement that, you know, most people will say, this is is the command straight away. 
After this command, it gets into some kind of other areas, but this is the command, do not love this world. And so we have to be clear on what on earth does do not love this world mean? Now, I've got to be honest, I, I, I have no peace with just interpreting world here. The Greek is cosmos as just like, do not love anything in this world. I just, I don't have peace with that. Don't love the ocean. Don't love the rainforest. Don't love a beautiful waterfall. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> Listen to the rhythm. I don't know the rest of the line. <laughs> Not a huge TLC fan, sorry. But don't pursue things in this world. Don't find any joy in them because that is a love for this world. Instead, just love God. I don't have peace with that. Now, my God created the world and He said, it's good. Now, I know He said that pre-fall. And I know He said that pre-sin entering, corruption. Romans 8 speaks about earth is under a curse. But my current conviction is not that through the fall of the world, the ocean became evil. Do you understand what I'm saying? My current conviction is through sin entering the world, the world is under a curse and, and it's corrupt and sin is prevalent because it's under control of the God of this world, Satan. So if we're juxtaposing two things, I don't think it's love of God or your love for climbing mountains and enjoying a good steak, tofu, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, okay, whatever, I don't know. Some spirulina shot, yeah. Grilled kale, whatever floats your boat. I don't think it's like, you can't love God and love doing things on your day off like that. That's just evil. Stay at home, read the Bible. But what I think the command is here, what I think John is getting at straight away here is, hey guys, if you are finding ultimate pleasure in this sinful, self-satisfying way in the things of this world, it shows me that the ultimate satisfying love of the Father is not in you. And that's what I want us to look at today. I think that temptation and Satan's tool is taking good things that God made good and flipping them so that their ultimate purpose, He corrupts their purpose to be to satisfy you. And that's the end goal. Right, like what, what, when we look at temptation, when we look at lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, some of the things that would scream to us, right, would be like sex or money or possessions. Now we have to look at those things in essence. In essence, money is not evil. Money's nothing. It's a weird colourful thing or a coin or a little card in your pocket. Money isn't evil. Paul writes to Timothy, he's, he's apprentice, and he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's not evil. It's what it does in your heart. Sex isn't evil. Thank Jesus. <laughs> but how many people know living in a, in a city that's been classed as sin city because of the nightclub, this, this city of pleasure, this city of, of craziness and... Botox and steroids and tattoos and drug use. In this city of sin, how many people can see clearly that Satan has corrupted sex? And now we as Christians need to not go, sin, uh, sex is sin. 
What our job is, is to look at the Bible and redeem something God created good. Because He created it in a way to be good. Money is an evil once again. Is it right or wrong for a Christian to have a million dollars? You can't answer that question. You just can't answer that question because some people, when Jesus met them, He said, if you want to follow me, give away all your money and then you can follow me. Other people, Jesus met them and that never came up because it wasn't an issue of money. It was an issue of idolatry in the heart. What is your heart in love with? Well, I can see something. Jesus is going, I can see something in your heart that you can't worship me completely while this is in your heart and you're going to have to give it away. But He didn't say it to everyone. Go into all the world and make disciples, telling them to give their money away. Didn't happen. It's a guy called Barnabas in Acts. His name literally means son of encouragement. When the disciples were selling things at the start of Acts, it says he sold a block of land and gave the money to church. There were many affluent people in Acts. Cornelius, the first Gentile to receive the gospel, had so much money. He was blessing all the people in his community and giving alms, generous to the poor. God's not against rich Christians. God is against every Christian having something in your heart that trumps Him. Now, for some people in the room, once again, that might be money. For other people, money just doesn't even tempt you. You don't care about it. For other people here, it's, it's, it's lust or something along, around the realm of sex and sexuality and things like that. Other people, it just doesn't bother you. For other people, it's possessions. You have to get that house. You have to get that investment house. You have to get that stock. You have to get that car. You have to get that thing. And other people here, they're like, I just don't care about possessions. They have no grip in my heart. See, the journey is about what's going on in your heart. That's why this passage is about a love for this world cannot coexist in your heart with a complete faithful love for God. Literally speaking in the way of one will evict or, or push out the other. We have to think of this passage this way. Otherwise, what we're doing, a lot of churches I'm hearing are talking about discipleship lately. And the thing I keep talking to, asking other pastors and thinkers, I'm always like, well, what would you call a modern day Pharisee? Because that's important to me. I'm not that impressed when someone has this Christian life all in order, but I don't sense a love for God. I don't sense a brokenness for the lost. I don't sense a kindness, but just quite arrogant in their morality. That is a modern day Pharisee to me. So I don't want us to read this passage in the lens of a modern day Pharisee and be like, a love for this world, great. I'm never watching Netflix again because I don't love this world. I'm so holy. Fantastic, I will never go into surface paradise again. Debauchery, disgusting, horrific. I will not have a cocktail at the Burley Path on a Sunday Avo, woo! Because that is the love of this world and horrific. It's just awful. Did I just tell you my last weekend? No, sorry, okay. <laughs> we got plans this afternoon? Church, if we start um, boxing in a love for this world through actions, I think we're missing the point. I think we're hugely missing the point. What I think this passage is largely about is your heart. And is your heart craving 
to be to satisfaction and to experience pleasures from the things of this world more than it's craving God to find satisfaction in Him, then something's off. And now we're just, the pursuit of a Christian is finding satisfaction in Him. Psalm 1611, O oh Lord, in Your presence is fullness of joy. At Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How do we get to a spot where our soul is fully satisfied in God and not the things of the world. So that's kind of what I want to dive into a bit today in the time we have. First thing I want to touch on, it's really important for us to get this first thing right. God created the world good. Yay! God created good things, and hear me now, for us to enjoy, but for His pleasure, His glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God created things good. He wants you to enjoy them. Why did He give you taste buds if He doesn't want you to enjoy the world? If, if the goal of eating is purely nourishment, just so you don't die, you wouldn't have taste buds. But God wants you to enjoy that incredible meal. He wants you to. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. God wants you to enjoy the things of life. I think um, I might have to do a, a, a much longer month or teaching on kind of, you know, sexuality and marriage and things like that. But just in essence, you just got to think practically. Why do we have hormones? Why did God make us that way? Why does the act feel good? Not the, God's okay with it, all right? Don't, don't, you're not a sinner if you enjoy it within marriage, okay? It's good. It's a, uh, don't punish yourself, okay? Fantastic. It's, and guess what? Here's the thing I want to highlight of those two things. Not only can they be enjoyed, but they both result in life. You eat to stay alive. So God made you to enjoy the process of staying alive. How cool is that? And then, not always, but sex is to create new life. And how cool is it that God made us to enjoy the act of creating new life and bringing new life into the world? Like, God wants you to enjoy this world, friends. Don't, don't fall into asceticism. Don't be one of those 15th, 16th century monks who... Martin Luther was crawling upstairs. They believe there was glass and metal on the stairs, climbing up the stairs, punishing himself, trying to earn God's love. It was at the top of the staircase. The staircase is called Scala Sancta. I went there in Rome. Literally means you know, holy staircase. At the top, he got the revelation of Romans 1:17. The just shall live by faith, and he realised that God loved him as he was and was saved through faith alone. Yes. Augustine, this might blow your mind. Anyone heard of St. Augustine? Fourth century, great, greatest theologian, about a thousand years, phenomenal. Anyway, um, incredible, incredible insights. Augustine had a concubine for many years. He used to write 
of his grief because he was so filled with lust. It says in his garden behind his house, he would rock in a fetal position, begging God to take the, the desire away. And after 10 years, one day, immediately set free. Like, you're in good company if you're being tempted, number one, okay? But God puts these pleasures inside you to be used for His glory and Satan is trying to corrupt those pleasures to use them for your glory in a sinful way. The thing I don't want you to do is to abandon all of the things that God made good. God wants you to have fun in this world. According to His ways, His laws, His paths, amen? End of this year, we have long service leave. Six years we've been waiting and planning and saving, <laughs> trying to get there. So in September this year, I have bought thick wetsuits. I've bought surfing boots to keep your feet warm because the water's going to be cold. I'll be surfing off Bruni Island, looking back at the majesty of God's creation out there in the ocean with the waves. And guess what I won't be doing? I shouldn't be enjoying this. God's so angry at me right now. He's really mad at me. Seriously, I shouldn't be doing this. I, should, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be having fun. That won't be happening. But I tell you what I will be doing. Thank you, God, for creating this beautiful world. Thank you, God, that the whole freaking world doesn't look like the Sahara Desert. He could have made it that way if he didn't want you to enjoy it. If he didn't care about you enjoying this world, flat, sand, one color. He wouldn't have given you colour. <laughs> I just have to put, I meet too many Christians, they just punish themselves for enjoying life. I'm like, God's cool with you enjoying life. Just do it for His glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So brothers and sisters, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of the Lord. <laughs> How does what you are doing on your day off help you praise God? Seriously, how, how does what you do for fun on your day off help you praise and experience God? That's what you were created for. Redeem the things in this world for His glory. Don't be a monk who just goes and punishes themselves. All right. Second thing, so God created good things for us to enjoy for His pleasure. Second thing, sin takes good things to enjoy them for your pleasure. And your glory. Look at this, Romans 1, 20, Romans 1's intense. 21 to 24. Yes, they, speaking about these people um, who knew God, they'd seen God in creation. Verse 18 says, all the people that they, they saw God, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God. They wouldn't even give Him thanks. Instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped Idols made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. Catch this. Just, just limit that. So they worship things created. Instead of worshipping the one true, I love it, glorious, ever-living God saying, thank you for this incredible meal. Thank you for this incredible day off. Thank you for this beautiful blue sky and this weather we're getting late. Thank you. They started worshipping the gift, not the giver. They started worshipping creation, not the creator. That was sin. Not enjoying the creation, worshipping the creation. 
and see the difference. See the, the subtle shift that takes something that God created for you to enjoy because he freaking loves you. You're his kid. But when we twist it, this is so prevalent in the Western church. When we twist something created good for God's glory and we turn it into making us happy for our pleasure, we worship it. Look at this. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Just to leave that there for a second. There's that issue again. It's a heart desire. What's, your, what's going on in your heart? Are you lusting after certain things in this world more than seeing them? It's just to be enjoyed for what they are so your heart desires more of God. God, thank you for giving me good gifts. God, thank you for blessing me. God, thank you for allowing me to live this life. Just the sheer fact that you live in Australia, you should be grateful. A lot of other parts of the world right now, they can't gather. <laughs> like, think of the life we live. The amount of times I whinge, you know what I mean? I catch myself whinging. I'm like, I, I have the perfect life compared to 99% of the world. God is so good. But instead of me hating that and, and, and abandoning Han and the kids and moving over to Afghanistan to become more holy and, and die for the faith, how could I redeem it and see God is placing me on the Gold Coast? How can I flip that to live it for His glory and His praise? See, now all of a sudden it's not living here that's evil. It's loving and finding complete satisfaction in my life here above my relationship with Jesus. See what I'm trying to shift in you? This is the call of a disciple, to be disciplined in this way. Otherwise, we just abandon it. We give away money. We move away. We want to punish ourselves. That's not the goal. That's asceticism. And it's like, oh, God might love me if I go and die on the war field, war plane, Afghanistan. I don't even know what... No, he won't love you anymore. He won't love you anymore. There might even be a sense of pride if you do that. <laughs> so Romans 1.24, that's right. Sin takes good things to enjoy them for God's, uh, sorry, for your pleasure and glory. That's why I put 1 John 2.17, that, that final statement we said. Catch this, this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Everything you crave in this world is temporary. You can't take money to heaven. You, a meal lasts like you're done in an hour. You can't, it's barely a memory. A moment with God, a relationship with God is the only thing that will last forever. And He doesn't intend for it to be boring. He wants to satisfy your senses. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come close to God. Experience God. Um, the Pharisees, I put that there, they focus so much more on their actions than their heart. The Pharisees always focus on their actions. This is what I don't want us to become, right? 2022, 20, here we are. And I don't want us to go, okay, I can't love this world. Actions, action, I've got to change my actions. Always remember that the only people Jesus rebuked when he came were the Pharisees. But their actions were good. Their heart was corrupt. That's why in Matthew 15, Jesus said, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Matthew 23, 23, he's like, you do well. 
You even tithe off your spice rack. He literally says you tithe off your mint and your dill and your cumin. That's how religiously you focus on your actions. And Jesus' correction was, and you neglect the weightier, more important matters of the law, like faithfulness, justice, mercy, having a heart for people. We looked at the start of the, the booklet, the first page. What does God do at salvation? I'll remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh so that you will follow my decrees. This is all about the heart. Sin wants to get in your heart. So don't worry about asking, is this action a sin? Is this action a sin? Focus on your heart. How is your heart going right now? Otherwise, people trying to always debate with me about the actions. And is this a gray area? Is this not? Probably. What's your heart doing right now? Are you craving it? Are you in love with it? Are you dependent on it? Would you hate God if He took it away from you? How's your heart for this issue? Um, sin always wants to entice your flesh and get your heart to follow, right? That's what I'm pushing there with the Pharisees. Sin is always luring your flesh. Experience this, give in to this, this lust of the flesh. And then eventually you fall in love with that thing, gets your heart to follow. Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is trying to entice your heart. Come to me, get away with me, walk with me, work with me. He's trying to get you and your heart to come to Him. And when your heart goes to Jesus, your actions will fall in line. That's the difference between sin and a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll finish with this. Oh, that was good. No, anyway, all right. Okay. Final thing, we must resist sin. So God, just quickly, God created things good for us to enjoy for His pleasure and His glory. Sin takes good things, gets to enjoy them for our pleasure and our glory. So this is the role of the disciple. We must resist sin and redeem goodness by having God's Word and love in our hearts. It's the only way you're going to redeem what Satan is offering to you as sin. This whole preach, what I was hoping to do, <laughs> I'm so systematic in my thinking. I'm such a compartmentalist, okay? It's always like, this has to fit here. It doesn't fit. And I just, mm, why doesn't it fit? It doesn't fit. And so I often, I was saying to Hannah, it was like Wednesday or Thursday night. I was like, I had to repent this week because sometimes that part of my personality does um, interpreting Scripture a disservice. Sometimes you can't. It doesn't all fit the way you want it to fit. You've got to be okay with that, right? But the thing I was going to do is take these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, compare them because that's what Satan uses to tempt us with. Compare them to Adam and Eve's temptation. When she looked at the fruit, it said it was good to the eye. She ate of the ate and it was pleasurable. And they said, and the temptation was, and eat this and you'll be like God, the pride of life. Then that would have worked. I was like, this is going to work perfectly with Jesus' temptations. <laughs> I was even ringing people like, help me. But lust of the flesh. What's the first temptation? We'll turn this stone into bread. Satisfy your flesh. And Jesus said, no. Last one, bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Pride of life. This other one just wasn't working. I'm like, Hannah, how do I get the lust of the eyes and jumping off a temple? I'm like, I don't even know. I'll make it work. I just got so convicted and so rebuked. But the thing that came was beautiful. God said those three are ambiguous for a reason. It's not specific. Paul, John, not Paul, John purposefully, in my opinion, doesn't get specific with what these things are. 
The lust of the flesh. It's not specific. It's quite ambiguous, right? Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. He doesn't just go, these are three temptations. uh, Money, sex, power. They're specifics. You can apply them. But they're unspecific. And the thing I felt, I felt anyway, God was speaking to me about after this. He said, those three are prevalent every day in every temptation. Every single day, you and I, myself included, we are so tempted to please our flesh. We are so tempted to go, I don't have that. I want that. Covet. I want that new clothes. I want to travel there. I wish I had that lifestyle. This lust of the eyes is always like, I don't have that, but I want it. And I'm looking at things. What's advertisement's role? To get you to look and crave. That's the goal of advertisement. This is always, and then something you get it, proud. Not as good as that person, but I'm way better than that person. This is prevalent in all of us every single day. But the thing I wanted to highlight is this. When temptation came to Adam and Eve, we see something quite unique. Eve's response to Satan was, oh, uh, you know, God's put all these beautiful trees there. Did he say you can't eat of this one? He said, you can't eat of this one. As soon as you do, you will surely die. I, I put it there. It was like Eve's response was not actually what God said. When you read to it, she got it wrong. And she added it. And it shows something that God's Word wasn't here. She just kind of heard it. She got it right. That's not what God said at all. She added to it. And then you compare it to when Jesus was tempted. And He responds with the direct Word of God. He doesn't rebut. He doesn't engage in conversation. He responds. He resists sin and temptation straight away with the Word of God. The Word of God, the Word of God. We finished with this, the last verse. So today we're doing 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. Can I remind you of verse 14, one before? Can we get 1 John chapter 2, verse 14 up? Oh, it's already there. <laughs> I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. Why? God's Word lives in your heart. And you have won your battle with the evil one. How do we overcome temptation? How do we beat Satan when he's trying to lure us away to find pleasure in this world? It's not in your own strength. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to start doing this. I've got to be better. I've got to do it. You've got to have the Word of God living there. That's your only hope. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide man's soul from spirit, bone from marrow, thoughts from the intent of his heart. The Word of God is alive and powerful. And church, we need it. Once again, back to Eve. It was like I've heard the Word and now I'm trying to remember it and do something. And that's what led to fall. Right? Not to get off topic, but to compare that to the sons of Sceva and Acts. You read about these guys who, who go to cast out demons, right? And this is a biblical thing. And they go, I'm going to cast out demons in the name of the God who Paul preaches. They didn't know God. They had no relationship with Jesus Christ. The demons overpowered them, beat them up, <laughs> sent them running. Why? Because the Word of God wasn't in them. So the one thing I beg you of, how are you going to resist these temptations that come against every person in the world? It's not going to happen in your own strength. It's not going to happen because you're really cool. It's not going to happen because you do X, Y, Z. It's going to happen purely when Christians get the Word of God in their heart.
get it. It's the sword of the Spirit for a reason, church. It's the only weapon we have, amen? We resist the devil. We resist and we redeem goodness by having God's Word and love in our hearts. I'll just finish with that again. I just really want to finish with that. Jesus' temptations weren't evil things. Just remember that. Turning, making bread isn't evil. But it was when it was going to be for his pleasure, his satisfaction, and not according to God's will, that it could have been sin. The beautiful thing, I think, is that Jesus actually redeemed that act. He does create bread out of nothing in John 6, and he feeds 5,000 people. He does the very thing Satan tempted him with, but he did it God's way and God's timing. Satan tempts him, bow down and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He says, no, it's not God's way or God's timing. Philippians 2, post-cross, therefore God gave him the name above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. Hear me clearly, he got the kingdoms of the world. So it's not about the action, it was about doing something God's way and God's timing. Stop worrying about what actions are sin. Start focusing on what's God's will here. What's God's timing here? What God, what's God wanting me to do here? It's going to help us walk in step with the Holy Spirit so much more. It's going to help us in moments. There are so many gray areas to your Christian journey. Have you noticed that yet? Should I take this job or that job? I don't know. What's God saying? Should I move here or not? I don't know. What's God saying? Should we buy this or not? Should we give this amount away or not? Should I get a relationship with this person or not? I don't know. What's God saying? And it's about finding God's voice in those moments, being in touch with the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with your spirit again and again. It said the Holy Spirit led Satan into the desert to be tempted. So he was with him. And Jesus, uh, did I say Satan? <laughs> Sorry, Matthew 4 1. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Changes the story drastically. <laughs> it's a key point. But this is just so important to my heart, church. Disciples of Jesus, it's less about what to do and not do. It's more about it walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Because He wants to prompt you to bless your neighbour at the right time. He wants to prompt you to, be, prompt you to be there for someone at the right time. There was um, a couple of months ago, I was calling Kurt about a member in our church. I was like, I just haven't seen them in a while. I, I, have you heard anything? He's like, no, no, I haven't heard anything. I was like, oh, can you just reach out? And Kurt is able to get in contact with this person. It's like, so, I don't know why. It's just like, can you just call out? And he gets a police officer to go around and have a look and they have to break the door in. This person's fallen, hit their head just before and blood's coming out. Ambulance comes, rush to the hospital. I'm like, thank God for Kurt having these connections. But I'm sitting there aware like, how many promptings like that have I not said yes to? It's less about what to do and not do. It's about resist Satan and say, Holy Spirit, what are you on right now? What are you doing right now through us? What do you want me to do? So many of the actions that we do, it's not sin or not. It's about where is God and where isn't God. And we want to be people who walk in God's presence, right? Bow by the Holy Spirit every single day. That's the goal. Let me pray.
Lord, we love you. I pray that you would help us to understand your word with greater depth, myself included. Help us to always see what you are saying to us in that passage. Every time we open our Bible, give us eyes to see, Holy Spirit, what you're saying. I thank you, Lord, that we will enjoy the good things that you've placed in this world. And at the same time, we will resist taking something that is good and using it for our own glory, our own ultimate pleasure. God, we are disciples of Jesus that have died to ourselves and taken up our cross. We live our lives for you and you alone. We have been crucified with Christ. The life we live now, we live by faith in the Son of God. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear you. Help us to be led by you every day. When you prompt us, give us the boldness and confidence to say yes and be faithful. Help us to live a life for your glory, God, your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.